So be praying with us about that. How many people are ready for a word today? Fantastic. We are in the middle of a message series right now that's called His Presence. How many people were here last week? Did you enjoy our opening week one to our message series? To summarize, if you're just joining us, um, we talked about how God invites us into a life where we can know His presence deeply, that we can know God's presence really in deeper and deeper ways as we walk through this life in relationship with Him. There are many sides and edges to God's presence or His face, and we can never fully see them all this side of heaven. Nevertheless, God invites us to go deeper and deeper and deeper in our relationship with Him and see as much as we can see, to know Him as deeply as we can know Him. Amen. And so I want to just kind of ask you the, this question as we get into it today, because I don't want to make assumptions. The question is, do you want to go deeper? I thought about that quite a bit this week, and the fact is, we can go into this really deep, you know, deep calls unto deep. Uh, Ezekiel says it's like a, an ocean of water that surrounds you and engulfs you as you walk more and more with the Holy Spirit. Um, we can go there, but it's an invitation. Our hearts have to desire that. We have to want that. God doesn't force any of us into that deeper water. He invites us. But we have to choose to go. And so I would encourage you to think about that, to ask that question, do I want to go deeper with God? Because in many cases, there are things of the world that actually are in the way of people going deeper with God. And they just look at where they're at and they think, I, I'm comfortable with, I kind of like the Jesus that I know. This is good for me, right? If that's the case and your heart's not provoked to want more, God's not going to just sweep you up and force you down this current, <laughs> right? We have to want that. We have to desire that. But I want to appeal to you that if that is where your heart is, that the greatest treasure and the greatest fulfillment will only be found and discovered actually in a life where we're living it for him and for him alone where he's the most important priority in our lives. And so today, we're going to open up this uh, topic called the mountain of God. The mountain of God. And you say, what does the mountain of God have to do with his presence? I'm glad you asked. All right, let's go to Exodus chapter 3. And I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version. Uh, it'll be on the screen, but New King James follows pretty closely. You have your Bible. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, or Sinai, the mountain of God. You see that, right? The mountain of God. Now, let's make a point right here. This is the first time in Scripture you read from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, this is the first time in Scripture where we see the introduction of this statement or this phrase, the mountain of God. 
goes on to say, The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was on fire, yet it was not consumed. So Moses said to himself, I must turn away from the flock and see this great sight, why this bush is not being burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned away from the flock to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then God said, do not come near. Take off your sandals from your feet out of respect because the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask you to speak to us today, reveal things to our hearts, help us to see and hear everything you want us to see and hear. We, we acknowledge, Lord Jesus, that there can be no unveiling apart from what you choose to reveal. And we are asking you to show us what you want us to see. Speak to us clearly. Holy Spirit, would you move in this place and in the homes of everyone who are watching right now today as if a wave or a wind, God, that's just moving through and accomplishing whatever it is that you want to accomplish in each and every heart. We give you full permission to do that right now today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So the mountain of God. What is the mountain of God? That would be the first place that we would start. What, what is the mountain of God? We see it here in Exodus 3 the first time. And you have to understand a, a theological principle. It's called the principle of firsts. Okay, And anytime something is introduced in Scripture, but then it's repeated, or you see it again and again throughout all of the ages, the First time it appears sort of establishes a priority and a precedent. And then you see patterns that play themselves out. And what you'll find is that this is the first time we see the mountain of God here at Sinai, where Moses is having this burning bush experience. We know that when he comes out of Egypt and leads the people out, a million people plus, think about that. You think your leadership job is hard, right? Imagine leading one million complaining people through the desert. Yeah. So he leads them to Mount Sinai. It says that they came and they encamped at the mountain of God when they got there. So Moses has this experience. Before he goes, God says, you're here at the mountain and you're, I'm going to send you to deliver the people. And then they come back to this mountain, the mountain of God. And we see that experience all through the book of Exodus. But later on throughout Scripture, we see other locations, actually, besides Sinai, referred to as the mountain of God. I'll give you some examples. The Bible talks about Mount Zion as the mountain of God or the holy hill. David, King David, brings the Ark of the Covenant that Moses and the people built. He brings that on top of Mount Zion in Jerusalem after he captures that city. The Bible says that God himself dwells on Mount Zion and with his people. We then look forward and we see a situation called the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus himself leads Peter, James, and John up on a mountain and his face is 
transfigured before them, and they get a picture of, of a full part, a picture of the glory of God before them. Peter, later on in his epistle, says, we were there with him on the holy mountain of God. And then we look and we see that Ezekiel describes the fall of Satan from heaven as the mountain of God. Now, obviously, we could look at that, and that would predate the event at Exodus even, but in Scripture it comes later, of course. But here's what Ezekiel says. God said to Satan, you were there on my holy mountain, and I cast you out of the mountain of God. And then we later see in John's revelation of future Jerusalem or new Zion, that it is also referred to as the mountain of God. He says, I had a vision and I looked up and behold, there was a great mountain and on it was a great city, New Jerusalem, and standing on Mount Zion was the Lamb. <laughs> wow. So we could say that all of those locations technically were the mountain of God. So it's not as much about one geographical spot as it is about an activity that's happening. Are you with me? What is the mountain of God all about? We read in verse 12 here of Exodus 3, gives us a little more indication. God says to Moses, I will be with you and this shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will serve and worship God at this mountain. Serving and worshiping God. The people are led by Moses to the mountain of God. They come to this place and it becomes a meeting place with God. Are you with me? A meeting place with God. It is a place where his presence is increased. We're going to peer into that. Remember I said there's varying degrees of God's presence we can know and experience. The mountain of God is a place where we meet with God and where his presence that we encounter is increased around us and among us in our lives. And God is inviting us to that. In fact, that's really where the treasure is. Let me show you something in Exodus 19. Once they get there, what God says, this is a big one. This is a big one. It was the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, and on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up, so he ascended the mountain, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, You shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel this, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, or carried you out, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me 
a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel. So God is saying to Moses, once they get to the mountain of God, basically he says, Moses, tell the people what I'm doing. Explain to the people what this is all about so that they have understanding. And he says, remember what I did to the Egyptians and how I brought you out of that bondage and slavery. Now you have to see that there is great significance to Moses, who is essentially like a forerunner or prefigure to Christ. Moses is a deliverer. You with me? God sends him to deliver the people out of bondage. Jesus is our deliverer, capital D. Moses takes and delivers the people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, which if you track back their ancestors 400 years ago, they willfully sold themselves into in Egypt. Jesus comes and delivers us out of the bondage of sin and death, a prison that we were willfully, so to speak, sold into in the garden when man forfeited the freedom that he had. (laughs) And Jesus delivers us out of that. But here's what I want you to see today. We're talking about his presence, and that's paramount in our lives. We know God says, I'm bringing you out. I have a land prepared for you of milk and honey, promised land. And God has a promise and a destiny and a call for each and every one of us in our lives as well. But what he says is remarkable. He says, I'm bringing you out of Egypt, and I didn't just bring you out into obscurity. I didn't bring you out into some little temporary location to hold up in. He says, no, let him know, Moses. Help him to understand here at the mountain of God where you're getting ready to meet with me, I've brought you out to myself. Wow. Do you see that? That's the treasure. Everything God has for us in our lives, the plans that he has for us, they're really, really good. And they're fantastic. But you've got to recognize that's not the treasure. He is the treasure. They mean nothing without him. He's the one that he's bringing us to. Not some thing to do, but him himself. And he says to Moses, help the people understand that. He says, and I'm, I'm bringing you out and I'm making you a kingdom of priests, which means you come and you sacrifice and you worship me. Peter later says that because of what Jesus did and perfected this thing, there's not just certain priests now that intermediate or intercede for the people. You know, they would come, they would bring their offerings and their sacrifices, give them to the priests, and then they would do that for God or for the people to God. They're in between. Jesus becomes our high priest, and Peter says we all become a holy priesthood part of the family of God, all of us making spiritual sacrifices, and Jesus himself is our intercessor before the throne. Wow, I've brought you out from something, but I've brought you to something as well. Track back with me when you were in school, if you can. Young people, maybe you're able to relate now. Friday afternoon, the last bell rings. 
And you look at all the smiles on their faces even right now, right? Freedom! <laughs> the end of the week, you're set free from school and you're getting ready to go into your weekend. I remember on some occasions where my buddies and I or my brothers, you know, we would be getting out of school, Pastor Guy, for the weekend on Friday afternoon. And you were already at like high energy level, right? I'm breaking out, baby. <laughs> and then there were times where my mom would come and she would pick us up, meet us there at school before we even got on the buses. And it was like an extra jump to get out of there. And you knew mom was coming and your buddies and you ran into the car. And I'm telling you, that alone was good enough. But now and then, Mom, when we get in the car and she'd say, hey, boys, if, if you want, I was thinking maybe I would take you guys, we'll go do something fun. I'll take you out for pizza and then pay, maybe take you guys to a movie and drop you off at the theater. Woo! You know, like, just when I thought it couldn't get any better. You know how that, just to show you how much 25 years can change, you know how that looks now? Your mom comes and says, hey, I'm, I'm taking you out of school, so shut off your computer, come out of your room, come down to the kitchen, and we'll have dinner, and we'll catch a movie on Netflix. Anyway, <laughs> Pops Morville Redenbacher. Um, but it was good enough, right, to come out, but to go to something even better, it was like, wow, that's what God's saying here. He's saying it. The, 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 ah, the, the rescue and the deliverance out of Egypt, that was just half of the assignment. The other part of the assignment was to lead the people here to me, to meet with me and be with me, and for me to be your God. Folks, I'm trying to tell us today, as sons and daughters of God, we are invited to the mountain of God to be a people whom he dwells in our midst. And that is our treasure. That is where God is inviting us and drawing us into. Go as deep as you can go. Ascend the mountain of God. And let's climb, folks. Let's ascend together to go as deep into this journey and this relationship as we can. But I say again, do you want to go deeper? Amen. Amen. So as Moses ascends the mountain, we see that a number of things happen. But one of the things that we see is that God's presence increases, intensifies. The cloud that represents the presence of God, it actually gets thicker and more intense as he goes up. At one particular point in Exodus 16, it says the people looked out at the cloud, and within the cloud, they saw the glory. Think about that. The cloud is already the presence, yet in the cloud, there's a burning degree more intense of his glory. Presence within the presence. It increases. Moses, on one particular journey up, by the way, he went up and down multiple times most scholars say at least eight times he ascended up and down the mountain. This is a lifelong journey that we get to be on with God, consummated fully in the eternal age when we're really in the fullness of his presence. It says that Moses led the people up. In, the, in one particular occasion, he led 70 of the elders 
Joshua and Aaron. And they went up together. Joshua goes on to become the commander and the general of the army, and Aaron becomes the first high priest. And then Moses, the deliverer, right? And the Lord Jesus is all of those. <laughs> and, and so he leads the 70 elders, and they go up so high on the mountain. And it says that they looked, and they actually could see the feet of God resting on sapphire pavement as of if it was heaven. And then from there, Moses and Joshua continue further. But the rest of the people can go no more. Moses and Joshua go up higher. It says they get up to a certain point, and then they stop. And then Moses separates from Joshua. And then he goes even higher. It says he goes up into the cloud for six days. He's in the cloud, but on the seventh day, God calls him from the cloud up higher, and this time he goes all the way up, and it becomes a consuming fire. You see how it increases and intensifies. This is a picture of our invitation to go deeper and deeper into our understanding and relationship of God's face, his presence in and uh, with us in our lives. Amazing, miraculous things happen. Did you know that Moses was supernaturally sustained by God for 40 days and 40 nights on one of his journeys up the mountain? It says he had neither food to eat, which is hard, but you can live, but nor water to drink. All my medical professionals today watching online, you know, can't go 40 days without water, right? Scientifically impossible. With God, all things are possible. He was supernaturally sustained. It's almost like the environment of heaven insulated, encapsulated him, and he was supernaturally provided for. I want to tell you, God has a supernatural delivery system of provision available for us as well. And as we spend time in his presence, it helps us to see that we would be able to depend more, place, put our faith more on the things of heaven's provision rather than the provision of this world. But many times we are relying on our provision from natural means and resources rather than elevating our faith to a higher level and contending for the greater provision that's actually supernaturally available. I'll tell you, if it can happen by your own hand, it's not big enough. Moses is required to be sustained by God or he'll never make it through. That's a good place to be, in my opinion. He's got a supernatural provision there. His face was changed. His whole countenance was changed and it was glowing. A billion watts when he came down the mountain and the people had to cover his face. You know, that's not the only time something like that happened on a mountain of God. When Jesus' face was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. Listen to what it says. It says that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes were shining as white as light. So much so that no launderer on earth could get them that way. It says that in Mark's gospel. No launderer on earth could get them that way. 
His clothes, imagine his clothes were light. Couldn't even see fabric. It was just light beaming out of his clothes. I think maybe when we get to heaven, there's going to be a bunch of grandmas up there doing laundry and doing all the, you know how grand, nobody can get it as good as grandma, right? Pressed and white. Bunch of grandmas up there doing laundry. <laughs> Not really. I'm just kidding. Go to your grandma. Say, Grandma, I know what you're going to be doing in heaven. Don't say that. Your pastor did not tell you to say that. Okay. But his countenance is changed. And listen to me. I, I think it's worth saying this this way in the way that things are today. Um, this is not mystical. This isn't mysticism. He didn't dangle some crystals around and say a little chant and like things happen this way. This is deep impact being affected by being in the deep presence of God. And if his face was radiating that way, how much more do you think that the soul of a man would radiate from being in the presence of God? The Lord tells us we are to reflect the very image of Jesus, to be transformed more and more so that people can see him through us. The psalmist says, in your presence is fullness of joy. The soul would be radiating, not only the countenance of a man. And I, when I see that and I think about it, I, I think the people of God should stand out in a world where things are dark. There should be light shining, brightness that people are attracted to. Being in the presence of God will change everything about the way we are visible to people in our our joy, our peace, our smile, everything about us. Amen? Now, how are these things even possible? How are these things even possible? As he's ascending the mountain and the presence is increasing, it's as if the realm of heaven is becoming more real, more apparent, than even the natural realm, a convergence, if you will, so to speak, where heaven is being unveiled and the deteriorating mortal world is sort of fading away, which actually makes a lot of sense because there are two worlds or realms that are always at play. There's the visible or the natural and then there is, there's the invisible or the spiritual. But think about this with me for just a second before we move on. One of those realms is fading, decaying, deteriorating, and eventually whew, will just be wiped away, gone, non-existent. Yet one of those realms, the invisible, the heavenly, is eternal. In fact, it's increasing, and it's going to remain forever. Now I ask you, which one of those two, Christian, are you a citizen of? Because when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says we actually become strangers or foreigners or visitors in the temporal, natural realm. But we become citizens by adoption of the Father in the heavenly 
realm. And that's where all of our rights and provision and supply and everything actually is intended to come from. So doesn't it make sense that if that's where our permanent home is and the citizenship to which we belong, that this temporal one we're in that we're strangers of would actually be less real or less apparent than the, than the one that actually is eternal and will remain forever? That's what's happening. Moses is peering into heaven. The sapphire pavement beneath the feet of God. The Bible says heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. They're seeing it. They're seeing it. And when you, you look at the things that it speaks about in the cloud that the people begin to see, and Moses sees, it's uncanny the similarities that we recognize between that and the vision that John gets in Revelation when he sees the throne room of heaven. I want to I prove that to you. In the cloud, Moses, it says there are thunderings, lightnings, smoke, fire, and trumpets. The people are hearing trumpets, and nobody on the earth is blowing a trumpet. It's an announcement from the angels in heaven calling and petitioning God's people to come and meet with him. Wow, blasting out of heaven, and they hear it with their ears. Jesus prayed one time and said, Father, that your name would be glorified. And the Father said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And all the people said, did you hear that? Was that thunder, or was that the voice of God? Thunderings and lightnings and all these things. Yet let's see what John speaks about in Revelation 4 when he sees the throne room of heaven. And draw the similarities between these two. Verse 1, he says, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. And then immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven. One sat on the throne who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance and a rainbow around the throne appearing like an emerald. Now you see all the jewels and the gems and the stones, just like the sapphire pavement that Moses and the people are gazing upon. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders, sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded, here we go, lightnings, thunderings, and voices, seven lamps of fire, which were burning before the throne. So fire, smoke, thunder, lightning, voices, trumpets. Heaven is invading earth. And those things that we just read about, Revelation 4, listen to me, not all of Revelation is futuristic. That's happening right now. That's occurring right now, even as we speak. Heaven was just becoming more apparent the realm of God just more visible to them as they ascended the mountain. I don't know if, if any of you like to play hide-and-seek with your kids. My little kids, they, they love to play hide-and-seek. I make sure I say little kids because my oldest would be like, Dad, whatever, as if. And, um, <laughs> but the way that we play and they like to play, it's, it's a little different. You know, I go hide downstairs in the basement. And they turn off the lights, and then all three of them come looking for dad. This is hide and seek in our house. 
And so I'll hide and I'll slide, you know, in between the shelves or kind of get into a little corner where they can't see me in the dark. They'll come down and they'll be walking around, you know, holding each other tight, looking and looking, walking right by me here and there. And what's interesting is that at some point, I choose to make myself known. And when I do, ah, you know, ah, and they love it. Do it again, do it again, do it again. And they can do it forever, by the way. They can do it forever. But it, I'm always there. They kind of know I'm there, but when I make myself known, all of a sudden it changes. The realm of heaven and God's invisible realm is here among us. Jesus, he said, I brought the kingdom with me. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? He brought it with him. Like the full reign of the kingdom, <laughs> I brought it with me. And I'm leaving it with you. It's here. But we are sometimes very unaware of that. As if we're looking around. But as we ascend the mountain of God, is I will make myself known to you and you will begin to experience more of what I've created you for is life. That you would live with a reign from a greater, not a lesser kingdom. And that you would carry that with you as you walk in the inferior kingdom that you're in right now. That's what we've been promised. And Moses, as he goes up, he just continues to see. Remember, trumpets and voices. These are announcements and revelations. Understanding. God revealing hidden things. Moses sees more of God up there, up high on that mountain than he's ever seen before. It's amazing. He goes through the cloud. He goes up into the consuming fire. He's Seemingly, he's experienced every degree that you can, and then he has the capacity while he's up there to ask a question of God that says, God, I want to see it all. Show me the whole thing, God, all of you, your whole glory. I've seen this, I've seen this, I've seen this. I'm convinced because he'd seen that much, now he's like, I, I, I got to see it all now. And God says to him, Mosey, baby. Moses. He says, that's not possible. Not now. Not in your mortal existence. One day, when mortality puts on immortality, when corruption puts on incorruption, yeah, that'll be possible. And you'll see every side and every edge. I am. But right now, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And I believe the Lord was so pleased with his, with his request that God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put you in a rock, in a cleft of a rock, and I'll cover you with my hands, and then I'll pass by. And you can't look at my face, the whole face. You can't see the glory. But when I get all the way past you, I'll kind of sort of reveal my, lift my hand just a little bit, and then you can turn and you can see the back edge of me. And that's what lit him up like a Christmas tree. But isn't it amazing that it took, the hand of God is the power of God. And it's amazing, it took the full power 
of God to protect mortal man as the full glory of God passed by him. Moses is in this place. But not only is God's character revealed more to us, his plans, kingdom business, is revealed to us. We need to know God's plans for our lives, do we not? I mean, we're desperate for them. But there's only one source that you can have them revealed from. And Moses is up on the mountain, and he's getting great great revelation about the law and the commandments. God is supernaturally telling him how to build the ark and the tabernacle and the priestly garments and how to make the sacrifices. He's rolling the whole thing out to him. The whole kingdom plan in this particular era in dispensation of time. And Moses is getting downloaded all of this. And when, even when Jesus was up there with Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says that Moses and Elijah were there. Think about that. They just, pew, holy cow, there's Moses and Elijah. And you know what they were doing? It says they were talking about the way that Jesus would soon die in Jerusalem. They're discussing kingdom plans. And Moses is up there having things unveiled to him on the mountain of God. God supernaturally revealing his plans. So much so that he had to tell Moses before he came up, he said, get two, get tablets of stone, but bring the tablets with you blank. Think about that. Get tablets and you bring them up. But the Bible says is that the finger of God wrote on those tablets. The point is, is that We bring our plans up empty, and God fills them in for us when he reveals them to us. Wow. But meanwhile, think about this. Meanwhile, the people are down at the base of the mountain. They're making plans of their own. Pretty poor ones too, Paul. They're making a golden calf. And you know what they said? They said, this is our God that brought us out of Egypt. Whoa, are you kidding me? It hasn't even been two months since God parted the sea and slammed it down on the Egyptian army. And you're now saying a calf is your God? It just shows you the proclivity of human nature to try and make our own plans and fill in our own tablets and designs when the plans of God aren't coming fast enough and quick enough for us the way we want them to. There's something to be said for lingering in the presence of God before the fullness of his revelation is unveiled to us. Don't be in a hurry to get out. God has more that he wants to do. Perfect revelation available to sons and daughters. John, in his vision of the throne room, He looks upon and he sees a scroll. And in the scroll is written inside and outside. Plans of God. Kingdom plans. It says the scroll is sealed with seven seals. Seven is a number of perfection or completion. This represents perfect revelation. Now get this. John looks around and he begins to weep. And he's saddened. After he sees this. Because he sees in all of heaven and in all the earth, no one is worthy to open the scroll 
perfect plan. But no one can open them. Then a voice of one of the elders pierces through the sadness and says to John, Do not weep because the lion of the tribe of Judah has arrived. He alone is worthy to open the scroll. Wow. Wow. I'm trying to say that in a world where things are just falling apart, marriages are being torn apart, families are being torn apart, health is being torn apart, societies and communities are being torn apart. And we're looking for the answers in all the wrong places. We are ascending other mountains, looking for the answers that can only be found by one alone. We're ascending mountains of careers, fame, wealth, status, position, reputation, Whatever it might be, as if these are going to solve things. My marriage is falling apart. If I make more money, have a better job. I'm depressed if I take a pill. We're, we're sending all of these other mountains. And at the surface, they have a lot of fancy, pretty, worldly, earthly treasure to offer. <laughs> but I tell you, as you ascend those mountains, it's like a shiny suitcase that looks great on the outside, but there's a ticking time bomb on the inside waiting a point of detonation. And you will soon realize if you ascend other mountains, they may have a lot of earthly treasure, but they are spiritually bankrupt. Nothing there (laughs) for what we as creations of God actually need. Isaiah the prophet tried to warn the people that they were doing this. And frankly, mankind has been doing it ever since. They were ascending other mountains. Listen to this. This will pierce your heart. Isaiah 57, verse 7, God says to the people, you're on a a high and lofty mountain, and there you have set your bed. Even there you went up to offer sacrifice. And behind the doors in their posts, you have set up remembrance, your remembrance. For you have, now listen to this. This is, oh, this is powerful language, folks. He says, for there you have uncovered yourself to those other than me. You've opened up your soul on these other mountains to these other solutions as your answer. And you have gone up to them. You have enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them. You have loved their bed, and there you saw their nudity. You say, well, that's a little graphic, Pastor. It is because God's trying to paint a serious picture. You know what he's saying that they're doing by sending other mountains, by looking for answers in other places? He calls it an affair on him. Wow. Wow. And I think to myself, I'm a person. We're all people, right? Have I been trying to climb other mountains? Have there been points in my life? Is there a point right now? You're hearing this word, this message today. Wherever you're at, wherever you're watching, and you think, my God, 
I find myself on a mountain slipping out from under me. I got great news. If you're ready to turn things around, I've got great news for you. Jesus came to set you free. (laughs) Jesus came to restore you to himself so that you could ascend the mountain, the meeting place with God, the only place that will provide every answer, every solution you need for life and godliness now and eternity. It's all there. It's all to be found in him. I close with this. Isaiah 57, 13. God says, this is the encouragement, but, right? He goes through that whole discourse. You're having an affair on me. (laughs) But he who puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall what? Inherit my holy mountain. (laughs) Does that blow you away or what? It's your inheritance. Jesus came and suffered and died and achieved a victory so that he could give that to us. He won us to himself. He's got great plans for you. No no doubt about it. Some, Some of us will walk in the calling of God on our lives and we'll see generations changed and impacted by what God does in and through us. But I just have to appeal to you today. Please understand the treasure is him. He's the treasure. The prize, the victory that we get. It's not the things we get as blessings or the things we get to do. The prize, the treasure that he's led us out of sin and death to is what? It is himself. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me today? God, we thank you and we honor you in this place. We give you all praise and glory. You are worthy. If you're here today, before we go, you say, Pastor, I have been climbing other mountains. I've been looking for answers in all of the wrong places. And I am ready. To come to God. I am ready to give my life to God entirely. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to live for Him and Him alone. I want to forsake the world that I might lay hold of that which is eternal. You say, that's, that's me, Pastor. Maybe you're coming back to God, or maybe you've never given your life to Christ and you're ready to surrender now. And know you're going to live forever because of the work Jesus did for you. Wherever you're at, if that's the case, I just want to pray with you today before we go. Because it's great news. The grace of God is unconditional. You've got to receive it by faith. You cannot earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You just have to accept Jesus, welcome him into your heart, and allow him to lead you and guide you from this point on. You could just bow your heads and close your eyes all over this place and say, Pastor, that is absolutely me. I feel the Lord speaking to my heart right now, drawing me, and I'm ready to make that decision. I'm ready to move towards God on the count of three. Would you just raise your hand so I can see who you are while heads are bowed and eyes are closed here? I want to pray with you. One, two, three. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Yes, sir, I see your hand. 
Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. God bless you. Is there anybody else in this place today? Online, if you're watching, this is for you too. This is your prayer today as well. God's going to meet you right where you are. He's going to do a fresh and new work in you. The Bible says that you become a new creation. Behold, old things pass away and all things become new. I announce to you, according to the word of God, things are going to look differently for you as you gaze upon your life through the eyes and the lens of what Jesus has died for you to have. And that is a great and glorious thing. Your life will be forever different. This hope of eternity will anchor your soul, and this world will not be able to intimidate you even with the threat of death, because Jesus says, I've defeated the grave. You're going to live forever in eternity with me. You say, dear Father God, I give my life to you. I turn to you. I come to you. I let go of the world. Everything I've been looking at, doing, pursuing. I turn off of those other mountains. I, I, I'm just, I'm done. God, I'm done. <laughs> and I need you. Jesus, I need you completely, utterly, and entirely. I put my faith in you. Would you come to live on the inside of me, Holy Spirit, that I be born again, alive, spiritually, your life living in me, the very power that I need to accomplish your work is here in me to see me through. In Jesus' name, amen. Now just receive that. Just receive that. Hallelujah. God is good, isn't he?